Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Performance at Preston North End Football Club and founder of Colourfit, Tom Little. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this episode has been a long time coming because over the last three, four, five years, myself and Tom have become good friends. And thankfully, Tom was around doing his research pre my undergraduate degree because I used slash abused a lot of his uh, a lot of his research for his PhD for my undergraduate uh, research project. So as we discuss in this episode, I thank Tom. Um, and I really appreciate his work back in his PhD days, but. From then, since then, Tom's had an incredible career working at Birmingham City, Huddersfield Town, Sheffield Wednesday, etc, etc, and is now at Preston North End. So in this episode, we discuss weekly periodization strategies, skill-based conditioning, and then finish off with a chat around Colourfit, which is Tom's, uh, which is a business that Tom founded, um, and we discuss everything from where that, where that came from, um, what the problems were that made him go down this route and potential future aims and objectives for Colourfit and what they plan to do in the future. So really, really interesting uh, guest to have on in Tom. Incredible experience and uh, really interesting to see the direction he's going in with Colourfit as well. So it'll be an episode I'm sure you'll absolutely love. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. This evening, I am delighted to welcome Head of Performance at Preston North End and founder of Colourfit, Tom Little. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Hey, Rob. Thanks very much for having me on, pal. The years of uh, constantly holding you has finally paid off. Hey, I was going to say this when we chatted before our press record, but I'm, I'm constantly in your debt, given how much of your research I, you, I was going to say use, but potentially copied, for my undergrad, for my undergrad dissertation. So thank you very much. I'm forever in your debt. So don't worry about that. You're the one, are you? I wondered who it was. It went through oh, turn in. It went through turn in absolutely fine. So it's, it was. <laughs> like I say, not many daft enough to plagiarise my work. But all no, joking no aside, mate, I am absolutely. I'm delighted to be on. I'm an uber fan of this show. It's had a massive effect on my career, not only from like a knowledge point of view, but also from a motivational point of view for the kind of SNC industry because the, the guests are so credible and so good at what they do. So uh, yeah, I'm very thankful for the for you for the podcast and all the guests, and uh, hopefully I can contribute a bit today. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that. Um, that wasn't pre-planned. That was that was off the cuff. So thanks, mate. <laughs> Appreciate that. Anyone that doesn't know who you are, traditional podcast style, um, just give us a bit of background on what you've done pre-Preston. Uh, and we'll get into a we'll get into the colour fit chat a little bit later, but a bit of a, an overview of that would be great as well. Education, etc. The normal start, mate, I did my uh, undergraduate degree and I came out of that kind of bright-eyed with my first ready to take on the world, but I didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do. I didn't really know what strength and conditioning as an industry, so to speak. And I was just incredibly lucky. I saw an advertisement for a job and it said to work with uh, athletes part-time. And as it turned out, he's working for a guy called Ed Baranofsky, who had a company called New Life Fitness, and they pretty much had the monopoly on kind of fitness training for football. So we had loads of clubs, especially in the north, like Man City, Leeds, who were in the Champions League semi-final at the time, Bolton, Wigan, Forest. Um, so I was lucky enough to get a start with them. Um, really brilliant start because I had very little responsibility. I was very wet behind the ears. I just had to do what Ed told me to do. Became a world-leading expert in putting down cones and picking them up. But it was a great grounding in terms of I just get I got to saw so many different practices with different coaches in different clubs, different levels in environments, different age groups, and got to meet a lot of different players as well. So it's a fantastic grounding. And then again, another stroke of luck came my way because Ed got approached by the Prince Machine Camp and they wanted him to oversee all their boxers. So he was looking for someone to take over the football and he chose me to do that. And 
for that to happen, he invested in my development heavily. So I got kind of tooled up on the practical side. So he sent me to America to a couple of times and I trained at what is now kind of Exos as an athlete. Um, I met loads of people like Vern Gambetta, Gary Gray, Mel Sif. Went on all the courses, so CSES, Baller, in my UK SEA. And from that, I kind of took on the mantle of doing all the programming for all the teams that were going on. Like a buffoon, I decided to do my master's degree at the same time. So that was an absolute year from hell. But got through that. And then after that finished, I was kind of wanted to go down the lines of becoming a bit of a guru, so to speak, in uh, um, skill-based conditioning because I thought that's how the industry is going to go and again another stroke of luck at the time for, uh, Nottingham Forest were asking me to go full-time with them so I bargained with them would they let me prod and pro their players to do my PhD and they agreed and then I had three fantastic years there and ever since then really I've just banded around uh, different clubs in English football being a, a fitness coach or a head of performance been extremely fortunate to work with some great clubs, racked up over a thousand games under my belt and six promotions, been some tough times in there too, fighting against relegation. And now I'm in my seventh year as head of performance at Preston North End, absolutely amazing place to work. And I'm also the founder of a nutrition company called Colourfit. What makes Preston so amazing? Because it's there's it's not many times, and not not to say that people don't think this about the place of uh, employment, but there's not many people who have said the place I work is absolutely amazing. So what makes it amazing up there? There's lots of things. First of all, you've got the staff. They're all so diligent and just great people. We have quite a small staff as well, so we're a tight-knit community. All feel very responsible for the jobs that we're doing and accountable. So that's one. Um, the people working around the club, they're generally supportive. We work within a very budget-minded structure, but if we really want something and we can put up a good case for it, they'll support us as best we can. But the main thing I have to say is the players. The players are just such a joy to work with. And there's things, with big clubs, you get big players and that's great because it's easier to win and they're so talented. We're a club where we have to get them in and develop them. So all our players are kind of from League One, from Ireland, quite a lot of them, from the Scottish Leagues. And they know if we're going to progress to where we want to go, i.e. the Premier League, they're going to have to become better players considering where they've come from. And that just makes the job so much easier in terms of their buy-in, their motivation to actually get better and put everything that you're trying to do into practice because it's not the it's the attitude of the players that makes the session. So you could go in with the best written down programme in the world, but the the your athletes aren't trying and uh, to accomplish that the best of their ability. There's no point to a bad programme done well will always outbe a really good programme done poorly. And we've got that. We stick to simple foundations and the lads, like I say, are just a pleasure to work with. Has there been any scenarios where you've the club's been set on a player, maybe a player that's got a bit more of a maybe Premier League experience and has dropped down and hasn't hasn't fit in? I'm guessing with that you've just described with that that culture of the kind of um, up-and-coming player, developing player, having someone experienced who's almost been there and done it might not fit in and be a bit of a problem with that that kind of group. Has that kind of thing happened over the last nine years at any point? I know what you're fishing for here because we I'm not, spoke I'm about definitely a not. player that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> but let's focus on the positives. You do get a mix. Absolutely. Mate. You, you get a mix, so you will get some that come down and they're coming down because they've got the talent but not the attitude, and that's why they're not, they are actually coming down. And money, particularly in the championship, can be a bit of a curse at time because you will go, you'll gamble on those type of players that you know have got the talent, but they've not quite got the aptitude to do it. But if you get one too many of them, your squad, it can be toxic, and there are examples out there in the, the championship at the moment. But you also get a lot of people that are coming down because of their age a little bit more and the vastly experienced. And those sort of the players, in my experience, 
are generally very good for the squad because one, they're established players, so people take them credibly. They tend to take their preparation more seriously because their natural physical um, attributes are declining and in, they're a little bit more injury prone. So the, the prep and everything they do is just a little bit more precise and they have the knowledge and experience to back that up as well. And yeah, and people will listen to them because of where they've been as well. So generally my experience, if an older player coming down, they tend to be a really good uh, example and, and leader for the team. I wasn't. I was trying not to fish. Then I do remember a conversation. I can't actually remember the play we spoke about, but definitely focusing on the positives is a good way to go. In terms of your role as head of performance, I'm guessing them kind of players do help you do your job. Them them players that do have the the kind of positive um, experiences and that can that can filter through the squad, and that probably makes your life a lot easier as as a head of department as well. Yeah, very much so. As I was describing there, it just relates back to that, really. But we've got a couple of players at Preston. We've got Paul Gallagher and then we've got David Nugent. They're fantastic examples. They, more than most other lads, will be in early doing their prep work. Diets are second to none. And it has a huge effect when people see those players. They've played internationally. They've played in the Premier League. It's easy to buy into what they do. So people like that have been a very good influence on, on on the things that I'm trying to say and promote. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned skill-based conditioning was the thing that you wanted to become known for. What did that What did that mean to you at the time? And has that the meaning of skill-based conditioning changed along the way? Or is it still what you thought back then pre-PhD? Um, I think it's pretty much still the same. The, the kind of the fathers of football fitness were very much preaching skill-based conditioning as I was coming through and just kind of doing my master's. So Yang's Bangsball did his seminal work in around 1994. So he had his PhD and he had his football fitness book, which I pretty much are the main elements of what I do to this day. Uh, and he was very much promoting doing your conditioning within a skill-based framework. Paul Balsam had also released some stuff through Polar on three sides as well, and how you can influence those in different manners to get the kind of intensity and the uh, structure of physical training that you wanted. And I was just experiencing it when I was doing it myself. The players were just so more, more, more motivated to do that type of work. And it's, it's fairly ubiquitous now. I think if you look across all, certainly in football, but all kind of skill-based, field-based sports, virtually all of them are using the majority of their physical training through skill-based conditioning. And with very good reason as well. Number one, in sports like that, you've got to be super efficient in what you're doing. So we've got to work on all the physical qualities, so all the biomotor abilities, so speed, strength, stamina, agility, acceleration, flexibility. They've got to be injury robust. They've got to work on culture. You've got to work on on the multiple tactical and technical elements that are going on. And then in between all that, you've got to fit in 50-odd games a season. So where you can be efficient with your training load, you've really got to do it in sports, like I say, that are field-based, endurance-based, but have these over overlay of uh, skills running through them. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, we want to promote physical qualities as much as possible. And the game at the top level is how does has uh, better physical capacities and the game in modern times people are faster run further at high intensity the tackling harder but really the core of what is important still relates to skills and tactics and decision making so if you can work on those elements as much as possible that's going to be very key in terms of your success so you want to maximise that time as much as possible. So again, if you can do your physical training within a skill and a tactical framework, that's going to be super important. I mentioned before the motivational side of it, which is not so important maybe in the short term if you're not there for that long. But if you're there for years and years, the motivation of your squad and them, how they approach their physical training, that's going to be absolutely key. 
So it's really important. And then the final cherry on the top is you've got you're developing very sports specific qualities. So if you do it within a kind of specific framework, which skill based conditioning is, you're going to be working on things that are important, multiple physical qualities at the same time. So intermittent endurance, agility, acceleration, high speed, you're working on all these things all at the same time. So it's specific training and it's also efficient training as well. So I think it is really important from from those frameworks. Do you ever use non-skill-based conditioning? Is there a time for that at Preston? For me, without a shadow of a doubt, I, I definitely think that you do need some level of running. There's a number of reasons why you could say some um, running-based conditioning is more important. Number one, you can have greater control on the intensity. So even though you can have parameters, the numbers, the pitch size, the rules, to try and affect your intensity, it's harder to, to control with skill-based conditioning. With intensity, it's really easy to do so you can get them working within a specified distance or time or vice versa. It's easier to use your monitoring tools to carefully select the intensity. Within a game, people can hide if they really want, unless it's something like a 2v2 or a super intense game. And some people's role within that game, say you're holding midfielder, it might be important that they're not training as hard as the, the rest of the people within that session. So it's really hard to get that really uniform and tightly controlled intensity. And intensity is probably the most uh, dominant factor when you, you're training physical qualities as well. I also think you can use running as a form of testing as well. So you can very simply look how far they're going within a certain time or vice versa. You can look at things like heart rate response to a submaximal running test. I also really like to use running for, to set cultural standards to actually say, if you don't make this time or distance, it's completely unacceptable. And again, you can't really do that with skill-based conditioning. So we will have certain drills where I'm saying, if you're not reaching this level, within this group it's not going to be acceptable there's going to be consequences and I think it just sets the mental tone by far and away most of the time people can achieve it it's their mentality of wanting to achieve it so if you set that bottom end it sets everyone on a certain key that really elevates the whole squad because I found you know, your dropout your worst result is the most significant factor on how everyone else responds to things like whatever it may be, strength training, endurance training. So I think it's really important on that respect. The other thing with running, it's far more easy to set up a session. So when you're doing skill-based conditioning, there's a lot of considerations that can make it complex and quite hard to do. So things like your number of players, number of keepers, equipment, all going to have a significant effect on the type of drills that you can use. So the number of players you've got, for example, it has to be a divisory number for the type of drill that you want to do. How many groups you're going to get in total from that number is going to affect how many teams you've got. And if you're doing, say, for example, let's keep it simple. Say you had four groups, but you only had two keepers. So two teams are going to play a smaller side of game of keepers and the other two teams are going to do a possession. You're going to want all those teams to do equal amount of each drill. That's going to set up how many reps you've got to do within that structure, which is going to then affect your duration of your reps and your rest and things like that. So it can be quite complex. So, for example, in that scenario that I set up there, if you had four teams doing two different drills, you'd have to set up repetitions of um, six in order for everyone to do the same. So you'd have to work out what's the optimum overall structure, divide it by six, and that gives you your rep time. So already it's starting to sound quite complex. And that's before you really consider what is truly important. And that's having a good knowledge of the technical and tactical outcomes of a drill. Because if you're going to go to a coach and suggest changes based on you want a different intensity, you have to know what the technical outcomes are desired by that coach if you're going to suggest a different drill and perhaps relate the new drill to those technical and tactical points. So you also have to immerse yourself in the coaching elements of each drill as well. So using skill-based conditioning, although it's super attractive, 
it, it's quite a difficult art to do really well. Is there any tools that you use to be able to try and predict what outcomes you're going to get from certain skill-based drills? Yeah, so... Or do you use intuition? Okay. There's a bit of everything. So you, you definitely have okay. to use your intuition a lot of the time because coaches might do new rules, new pitch sizes and things like that. So you have to know the general patterns of what's going to happen based on uh, changes in parameters. We have kind of a, I first started with a table. So I just separated lots of different drills and number parameters within them drills into different energy systems. So I'd have this table and I'd know what I want to work on with it a different energy system given my periodization structure, these kind of drills are going to be appropriate. And over time, I built that into a computer software that was called Soccer Smart, and that you put the number of players, what kind of te technical and tactical elements you wanted to work on, what skill element you wanted to work on, and it just spat out all the appropriate drills and appropriate structures for what you put in. So that was super helpful. And you can design that yourself, either within Excel, using kind of filtering systems, or you can design tables to do that. So it doesn't have to be as complex as a computer program. And there's lots of people that have formed predictive um, loading tools. So you can look at your GPS uh, parameters for a given drill, and then you can if you want to go to a high level, you can have that on an individual level. Our predictive load tool just looks at an average level. And if we, if we, from the coaches meeting, if we know what drills they're going to use and a rough structure with that, we can input that into our Excel system and it'll churn out the predicted GPS uh, structures. And then we can change them and then maybe go back and suggest different structures for what they've said if it doesn't lie within the parameters that we think are suitable for that training session. So this is probably a good time to move on to chatting a lot around the weekly periodization strategies of we've, um, we've kind of touched on a lot of that already. But how does the, the skill-based conditioning fit into them, uh, into them strategies from a, a weekly periodization point of view? Yeah. I've looked into weekly periodization a lot, and I think the most important thing to say with this, and the main factor to take with it, is that there's no real holy grail when it comes to weekly periodization, i.e. what is the optimum structure to use, and there's kind of evidence for this all around. If you look at all the people that have been successful within football, within all the different sports as well. They're using widely different periodization strategies and overall philosophies to their training. The one that I kind of like to look at because it's a really funny uh, video on Twitter is a comparison between uh, Pep Guardiola and Neil Warnock. I don't know if you've seen that. But, uh, good. It's good. And it is, it, it's pointed out to be derogatory towards Neil Warnock. But I think if you dismiss Neil Warnock, you're an absolute fool because it, no one has been promoted more times in British history than Neil Warnock. He got very recently, he got QPR to the Premier League. He got a very unfancied Cardiff team to the Premier League and almost kept them there. So you can't dismiss his methodologies of how he does things. And it just emphasizes for me there's multiple ways of doing that. And I think what you've got to take into consideration is lots of things. So what is going to be optimum for you is going to be dependent massively on your massive manager's philosophy, on the club's philosophy, on the attributes of the squad that you've got, even the, the league that you're playing in. So the competitive kind of, fixtures and structures of that lead are going to affect the kind of philosophy that you're typically going to put into your week. Um, but I think there are clues around us of, of how we can optimise the week. So we can take some clues from around physiology and fitness fatigue models and supercompensation and things like that. And I think it's a fairly accepted uh, wisdom now that we know that around 48 hours before and leading up to a game that we can't really train that hard or provide a true overload. So we could train intensely or we could train with some volume, but we can't do both and, and apply a big overload because of factors relating to fatigue. So 
from the game. You don't want to be training too hard, more relating to um, injury risk, but also you're going to hamper the recovery process. And that 48-hour window leading up to a game, again, you don't want to be encountering fatigue that is going to hamper your maximum performance levels when it comes to game day. So what that leaves us with is kind of this two-week, two-day window on that day minus four and match day minus three say for example you're just going on a saturday to a saturday game where there is an opportunity to train our players harder and apply an overload you certainly don't have to do that now i know we mentioned john goodman in the chat we're having before we started and i remember john always saying he had a really successful red reading team and they very rarely trained above 85 percent of their maximum heart rate and they were extremely successful they concentrated on other things like set pieces and tactics and organisation. So you don't have to train hard and be successful. But I think the weight of evidence now is pointing towards using some kind of overload within that uh, window midweek. And what it provides us with, it allows us to increase our performance potential. So potentially our players can go out and, and train to a higher level. It hopefully makes them more injury robust and provides them with that bandwidth, which I think is a really good terminology that's doing the rounds at the moment in terms of making sure our players can go into uncomfortable areas or uh, congested fixtures and they've just got that capacity to deal with those loads. So there's... Within that window of overloading, you see different things of how people apply it. You see different on what they're doing and when they're doing it. So first of all, what they're doing. My approach is to approach it from an energy system point of view. So things like VO2 max, lactate threshold, uh, anaerobic capacity. And the reason I approach it in that manner is that there's clear research showing optimum structures when you, you're targeting energy systems. So if I'm working on something, I know the pretty much what type of structure to throw at that to get optimum physiological adaptations. Tactical periodization has come along and that approaches it more from a football framework. So you're overloading certain parameters, but from a football point of view, so you've either got kind of a small-sided day or term strength day where you're overloading um, your, exposed, your skill exposures and you're overloading things like acceleration and deceleration and contacts. And then you've got your larger sided day or your resisted day. And that's more kind of match specific overload. So bigger areas, more tactical, more exposure to high intensity distance. I think similar to that as well, some people are approaching it from a worst case scenario point of view so it's similar to your larger sided day but you're you have kind of precise parameters that you're trying to achieve or be over um, and generally they're very kind of match specific um, and it's very popular within rugby there's people like um, Bielsa and I think Klopp uh, are quite prominent with this type of training the term it murder ball where you just emphasizing a super high press and there's quick rotations of play and you can see that a lot of people are having success with that i don't know if you caught japan in the world cup in the rugby world cup but i think they have a worst case scenario for 80 minutes <laughs> incredible what they can do so um there's different ways of approaching what you're going to do during the week and then you've also got this variation in when you're going to apply your overload so what I traditionally was exposed to coming up in football was a one-day overload model. So we'd do our overload on match day minus four, which would be a Tuesday. Then we'd have the next day off to promote recovery. And then we'd work more on technical and technical preparation as, as we went later on into the week. Um, and then you can apply this single model, like I said, on a Tuesday. And then I think uh, the Heinen has a model where he promotes it on match day minus three. So it builds up like a, a pyramid scheme. So there's different days that you can do that single overload on. But then came along tactical periodization that I've uh, already mentioned. Now tactical periodization came along with this theory that you could actually apply an overload on match day minus four and three. 
And you can do that by working on different energy systems and different neuromuscular properties on the different days. So the, the, the classical system is promoting on match day minus four. You're going to do more on your small-sided day or what you term your strength day. So that's going to be in small areas. You're going to be working more on acceleration and deceleration, which is going to work more on your quads, um, your glutes. It's going to work more on your tenderness and joint structures because there's a lot of stretch shortening cycles going on. And then it's going to work more around your VO2 max energy systems. And then you go in the next day, max, max down minus three, you're going to work on different properties by working on a larger area. Um, you're going to have more high intensity distances. You're going to be working more on your hamstring musculature. Um, and you're going to be more lactate threshold into aerobic capacity type of adaptations. And that, obviously blows the single system out of the water because what you're getting with that you're getting far more overloads you're getting far more training time you don't have to periodize from week to week because you're getting different energy systems within the same week so from that point of view it's an absolute no-brainer that you go with tactical periodization but as with everything it does have its disadvantages as well. So people have taken that almost of accepted wisdom in terms of on your different days, you're working on these different energy systems and different neuromuscular properties. And therefore you can train hard on those both days, but I don't think that's been proven at all. There's certainly no peer reviewed evidence to support it. There's some empirical um, kind of common sense that goes with it, but I assure you, you're definitely not training distinct systems. So when you're, for example, on your larger sided day, are you not using your uh, tendons? Well, if you're running at maximum velocity, you're definitely using your tendons. You're like a kangaroo, your muscles are stiff and you're bouncing off them tendons massively. If you're doing a small sided day and you're doing multi-directional decelerations, are your hamstrings not involved in that? Definitely, again, I can show you that you are. So I think these distinct fatiguing parameters, they do exist to an extent, but not entirely. And from that, can you truly apply a really good overload on both days? I'm not so sure you can over the rigours of the season and having so many games. So I think rather than trying a true, a true overload, you're just training moderately hard on both days. Uh, and because of that, are you optimally preparing for the rigours of a match? And what it also makes it more difficult to do is to put in di other different parameters of training. So to put in things like speed training, to put in strength training. It's more difficult to do that following that model because you've got so much work already placed in there. So in the classical model, your match day minus two is called your speed day. But for me, that's an absolute nonsense. There's no way you're doing a quality speed session after you've done your two hard endurance days back to back and then doing it on the next day. You might be able to do the odd acceleration, but you're not doing a true overloaded speed day. To put in strength training, so a good overloaded leg strength day, it's difficult to do in that uh, tactical periodization model. And that's where... The disadvantages of the tactical periodization is really the strength of the single load model. So it's a lot easier to apply a, a good overload on that single day. It's a lot easier to put in kind of strength training and speed training within that model if, if that's important. So really, there's no holy grail. One way is definitely not the best way. You've got to say what's important to you. Uh, so if you're really about physical training, I think the single load model where you can do strength training and a good speed training might be more prevalent. But if you're really all about the coaches, getting the lads on the field, you're about drilling them, really working with your players in a technical and tactical parameter, then it stands to reason that the tactical periodization model is, is going to be much better. But I, I, so... Which one do you pick? I, I, I would like to hang my hat on, on one. 
I think if you look at the truly great managers at the moment, the likes of Pep, the likes of Klopp, Pochettino, I think you've got to put Brendan Rodgers in that uh, mode now as well. They use some element of tactical periodization. So from that, you would favour that. But again, if you looked at the huge overachievers in my generation, the likes of your Leicesters, the likes of your Burnleys, I think you've got to throw Sheffield United into that. They're all using a single load model. So, like I said, it goes back to the advantages and disadvantages of both models and you've got to choose what's right with your philosophies for your club and all the things, the different parameters around your club. How does tactical periodization fit into a weekly structure where you've got a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday? I, I don't think it does. Okay. I just think you've, yeah. you've got your two, your big loads in there, which are your games. And like we talked about before, everything was, is within those 48-hour windows, pre and post game, when it comes to your training days. So you're either always going to be post 48 hours from a game or within 48 hours of a game. So you're typically looking at recovery. And like I said at the beginning, you can have something that's intense or you could have something that's voluminous, but you are not going to put both together. And typically what you will see is more intense training. So you want the lads sharp. So the day before a game, you'll still do sharp time training but it'll be done with a, a, in a very res- refined and restricted volume, so you're not getting a large overall training load effect. So what what model have you gone with at Preston? And this is obviously not solely based on your decision, and feel free to say I'm not telling you because we don't want to discuss that, but obviously well, it's not just your decision, it's everyone involved decision. Yeah, well, we try to be smart artists and try to do both. <laughs> so our, our thinking was, right, well, let's get the best of both worlds and we were going to do alternate weeks. So the first week would be along the tactical periodization model because our gaffer really likes working the players and he, and he has a huge technical and tactical emphasis on his training. But then the next week, we thought for two reasons. We wanted to get have that big loading session so to get players more used and, and, and to the volumes of the game and also we thought we'd have a big training effect but the big reason for it was we wanted regular reserve minute matches and also be able to do some tactical players so have enough players ready to go on Thursday so we always had our reserve games on a Tuesday and then those players would then be available to do some tactical training for the whole group on the Thursday and that was the main reason because we wanted that regular um, match type exposure for our non-starters but we still wanted to work on tactics on match day minus two that was the reason the main reason why we went with the single load model on the alternate week as this season has started though we've there was that many games that we kind of just fell into the model of having Wednesdays off, so the single loading structure. And because we started the season so well, we had so few injuries, we just kind of stuck with it. We thought, do we want to kind of gamble and, and, and put the tactical periodization in there? So we've ended up just really pretty much sticking to um, a single load model. And again, that refers back to it's the... Um, the competition structure is so important for what you choose. So we had that many games going on that we just kind of fell into that single load structure and it worked really well. So do you have Sundays off regardless if you had a match on a Saturday? No. Um, if, we're in our, if we've got a game on Tuesday, we'd be in, so we'd have a worn-down protocol to follow. If it's a single match week, we'd have Sundays off. So if it's single match week, you'd have Sundays and Wednesdays? Normally, or oh, that's yes. the model you've fallen into. If yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got a match yeah, Tuesday, that's a model. And, and you do see quite a lot of people bring them in the next day, and then um, have the Monday off. And there's two reasons I kind of try and stay away from that. One of them is massively selfish, but I want to see my kids. I want to see my family when they're off. So an entirely right, so selfish yeah. point of view, I will kind of recommended Sundays off from that but I also think if you look at the all the studies on recovery 
your 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 recovery markers certainly in terms of performance and uh, biomarkers they're having greater recovery on the second day rather than the first day so i'd say it's safer to come in and do some training on that second day more than it is on the first day so there's two reasons that i'd kind of um promote being off on the sunday and in on the monday mm-hmm. so what does that monday look like is it do you term it as second day recovery or is it just a normal training day yeah, it's second day recovery. So typically our starters would either go out and do a, some light load training. So it would be things like passing drills, possession in fairly moderate time possessions, uh, rondos and the likes. And they would then go in and rec- um, go through a recovery protocol or feed it while the non-starter would go in and do some level of top-up training um, to try and make up for not being involved in the game. Excellent. Well, I think now would be a good time to transition into the colour fit chat. Would that be all right? Of course, mate. Let's do let's do that because I'm I'm fascinated to. Uh, I know we've spoke about this across pretty much across the whole journey. Not well, not far off anyway. So I'm I'm really excited to get this out there and just get this this journey um, kind of put on the put on the table because I think it's a really cool one. That I really admire. You and and anyone that goes through this journey of an idea and actually putting it together and then starting to sell it, get it out there, and then progress like you've done. So, colour fit. What was the what was the what was the, where was the start of the journey? What was the what was the purpose of it from the uh, from the get go? I'd always kind of had a big interest in nutrition. Um, I like kind of the biochemistry side of it and the biophysiology side of it. And on a personal level, kind of when I was coming out of my hedonistic, bulletproof early 20s, (laughs) I really started to gain appreciation of how much better nutrition affected myself. So kind of my energy, my mood, certainly my resilience to illness and injuries. I know it's when I was having... Better, more healthy diet how much better that was and obviously as a head of a department you have the overall kind of um, ultimate responsibility for nutrition even if when you're hiring nutritionists to come in and help you the book kind of stops with you and I learned the hard way unfortunately early on that if, uh, there's no quicker way to a P45 than is a new manager comes in and you've got a few tubby lads sitting in your spot <laughs> change so <laughs> I always placed a lot of resources towards nutrition so I do things like the usual we do lots of presentations we put posters up around the place we do cooking lessons even take them out shopping despite like throwing all these resources at it, it when we sat the down the players down and asked them actually what are you eating now it was still just crap and i was so angry i just wanted to kill the little bastards <laughs> so uh, i was literally chasing them around the room on multiple occasions and i just thought i've got to do something about this so i, I set about kind of problem solving what are the main issues around nutrition and the first thing that we found, it we just had to make it more simple. So nutrition can be confusing. And the level we were trying to simplify it at the time, it was just they oversimplified it at their level. So it's just very simple carbs or cereals and pastas and things like that are just switching to just your basic protein. And health was missing when we were trying to teach them about carb periodization and things like that. So... We just thought, what is the easiest way to get them to choose the the correct type of meals and nutrition? And we thought, we need to make it as intuitive as possible. So if we could relate meals to the goals of nutrition, that is a really easy way of making it intuitive. So we thought, right, we went with what are the main goals of nutrition? And we went with performance, we went with body composition and health. So we thought, can we break down meals into those three factors? So performance was pretty easy. We thought we'd throw carbs at that because obviously carbs provide energy at the most efficient and fastest rate and very important for intermittent field sports like our own. So we thought, right, we'll call carbs, we'll call them active performance because it relates to being active. And it, No, sorry, we called it active fuel because so, it relates to being active and it's about fueling the, your performance. That was a, a term that was used wi- widely out there already. 
read colour the green for go and then we put this running icon at that to make it all intuitive. Next we have protein. Protein was a bit more difficult because it has a dichotomy of uh, influences but we decided to call that lean muscle so protein helps you be lean or lose weight through it it has the net lowest calories by the time you've digested it because it's through the thermogenic effect it has high satiety it has effect on your metabolism which is all good for staying lean and also the muscle side of it we know proteins obviously help repair and build muscle so we called that part of it the body composition more lean muscle and we had like a six pack icon and we could give it a red color for your burning metabolism and then finally we had health health is a bit complex to do objectively and there was nothing out there doing it but we found a way of um analyzing all our meals and taking all the elements that are important to nutrition so all your vitamins minerals your fibers your healthy fats and we quantify that into what we call the health score and then we can put that into health and we got colored it gold for the golden glow of health and had a heart with that so that was a formation of what we called the color fit plate so it had different colors different icons that represented how much of a meal represented those different food goals we also knew that calories were important so we added this thing called the calorie load and that works like a bit of a speed dial it's not the best way to do this you need a bit of a picture rather than just an audio no, description it's good but basically as coincidence would have it that all put together looked exactly like a plate so we called it the color fit plate and very easily people could recognize whether that meal was going to be appropriate for their goals and all we do with the our players we keep it super simple we say if you're training hard or you're coming up to a match you're looking for more green and active fuel you're looking for slightly higher calorie loads and when you're not training hard or rest days you're looking for more red and yellow and you're looking for more moderate calorie loads and that way you're getting the holy grail of nutrition you're going to be fueled for performance so you maximize your performance capacity you're also going to stay lean and you're also going to stay healthy so that seemed to work really well the next stage of it was the practical you got to keep things super practical and that's a lot of the downfall when it comes down to nutrition because a lot of footballers, they've gone through the academy structure where they basically had their asses wiped through them, everything's done through them, then they get to 18 and bang, they're thrown out there in the bid wide world, defending them for themselves. A lot of these Cap 1 clubs, they might be uh, put to a completely foreign environment and they're living on their own and they just haven't got these practical skills. So we thought, right, we need to build a meal library of meals that are really simple to make and they've got to have a health or performance aspect to them and we thought the thing that really helped if we if we could make uh, video demonstrations for all of them and that was kind of that was a real turning point where we thought bloody hell we might have something here because the lads were so receptive to it from that point where you could actually see the video and thought well actually it's not that hard i'm willing to give that a go so that was a turning point where we thought with colour fit, we might have something that uh, got some legs here. The final part that we wanted to solve was to be evidence-based. So nutrition is notorious pseudoscience. There's lots of gurus out there on her social media. So we wanted, really wanted to be evidence-based in our approach. So we made sure all our meals, we provided full nutritional analysis and we built these other branches to colour fit where we always wanted to present an evidence base through a kind of a video rationale or presenting peer-reviewed research or international position stands. So we have things like meal builders, which is trying to teach you how to do loads of different types of meals. So things like overnight oats, salads, tray roasts, all kind of similar meals, but how to build them within your food goals. So we provide a video rationale on that. We've got lots of different meal plans for different sports, training plans, different goals. Again, we provide a vision, video rationale of why these meal plans have been built in a certain parameter. And we've got a huge education section with lots of infographics and info videos in there, where again, we will show off. So it's an info video. When we say something, we'll flash up the peer-reviewed research so they know it's credi credible information without boring them with the details information. They know what we're saying. That's actually very credible and very up-to-date. So we built that up. 
And initially, we just did it on Google Drive uh, because that's all I kind of had the resources to do, certainly within Preston. And I spoke to quite a few of my pals with it, within the performance world with it. And the, the interest was pretty staggering, to be honest. Um, but I certainly know it was limited within um, Google Drive. So I, I sought out to get a partner and I was lucky enough to partner with this corporate wellbeing company called Hero Wellbeing. And they give me some of the digital armory and the, the business acumen to take it on to the next stage. And we've got to the level now where we're just about to release phase two of the web-based app. And it's come on a lot now. So we've got... Um, the main bit is the meal library, but we've got over 400 meals to choose from. We've got like we can provide this detailed nutrition analysis on there, or the videos. We've got features like shopping list on there. We've also we've got lots of meal filters built in as well, so you can like likes and uh, different goals, so you can very quickly find the appropriate meals on top of the colour fit plate. We've also got a meal prep partner now, so you don't just have to make the meals, you can actually order them. That's a fantastic company called Balance Meals. Um, so with our system, you have the advantage of being able to order any type of meal. So sometimes with a meal prep, you're restricted to a certain type of meal, so it might be just for losing weight or just for gaining muscle. So with using our system, they can still periodize the nutrition with meal prep and they get the better uh, nutrition information and the colour fit plates are associated with them and our customers get a nice discount. We've just started our own personal chefing arm as well. So that's for the kind of elite end that wants something that's highly individualised but with that kind of fine dining um, experience associated with it. We've managed to add our own meal database which is fantastic on uh, two fronts so the meal database we've gone for it's cost us a bloody fortune and it's about <laughs> ages to get it but it, it's kind of a brand leading one so all the data that's on it is really valid so you, anyone could put the data with my fitness pal so sometimes the validity of what you're seeing is not always spot on it's international based, it's restaurants, it's groceries. So you can pretty much find dead easily all the foods that you're going to consume. The great thing with ours though is you can also use it as a meal planner. So you can use it as a meal planner for whatever eventuality you want. You could do it for a day, you could do it for a week, you could do it for a month, you might just do it for your pre-match meal. And what we can also provide is administrative access. So, so for example, a nutritionist or a the head of SNC, they can go on anybody's system within their framework. So, for example, Man City have just bought it. They could go on their nutritionist to go with any of their players within their system and then write them meal plans or look at the the, the food database that people have been uh, building up and add comments to that or change that. So that's going to be really powerful and empowering the end users. So that's really been great. And then the final cherry on the top, we've got full branding on the system now. So we can give it club colours, we can call it whatever they want. We can put specific modules that they want or take them out and add specific content. So it's come on a, a long, long way now. So I'm excited to see how it goes in the new year. And in the new year as well, it's going to be available on the App Store and in Google Play. So hopefully that will be a big buy-in when it comes to players, just being able to do it in a nice, simple, single step. Nice. Well, I remember sitting down at your training ground and going through the Google Drive. I don't know how long ago that was, probably three years ago, maybe. So yeah, it's come a hell of a long ago. way. Yeah, two years ago. Good work. Yeah. I'm thankful I've done it, but things like this, side hustles, do come with consequences. They come yeah. with family consequences. Obviously, work, I've not slept pretty much for <laughs> two years and various other things that you have to sacrifice within your social life. But hopefully, it'll open up other chapters in my life. It's certainly opened up a huge network to peers that I really admire. Um, and gives you flexibility in a career path that can be unstable, as we all know. So hopefully it will come off, but it's not been easy, let me tell you. Yeah, I bet. So where can people find more information on ColourFit pre-app? Well, you can follow me on social media, so at 
colour underscore fit is my uh, social handle on Insta and um, Twitter. So you can follow me on there and I, I do quite a bit on LinkedIn as well. There's a website site which is www.colour-fit.com so they can have a look on there or the they can just contact me directly. I'm sure you'll leave my details on there. So I'm happy to receive any emails or phone calls, happy to speak to anyone to discuss anything really that we've covered in this um, podcast. doesn't have to be related to Colour Fit. Excellent. And I was going to ask you about Game Changers, but that could that could take us another hour. So what I'm going to do <laughs> is <laughs> what I'm going to do is forward people on to the article that you did with, uh, with Simon at Training Ground Guru I've got, I've just got it on my phone here. So just put um, Tom Little uh, Game Changers. That brings it up. Um, it's a great article. Good good work on that as well. Thanks, mate. When I wrote it about my cat and my mum had read it and then Simon got involved with Training Ground Guru yeah. and it bloody exploded. I woke up. <laughs> I go to bed early these days and I woke up in the morning. I wonder what the hell had happened. So big thanks to Simon and Training Ground Guru. But... Uh, Quickly, on Game Changers, just want to say, I just feel it was yeah. a wasted opportunity um, because they could have just done it in a, in a manner that didn't have this bad lash because yeah, basically the, everyone eating more plant-based food, it's going to be great for everyone. It's going to be so good for most people and, and so uh, good for the environment as well. And it could have just been done in a manner that was didn't have this bad lash and then really help people to to take up a plant based diet more rather than just scaremongering and hammering home that point to the nth degree where it just went into misinformation and outright bullshit in the end. And it just have been so much better just saying these are this is the credible information regarding plant based diet. Here are these unbelievable athletes that back up what we're saying and show you can perform to your ultimate levels through a vegan diet. And and then just shown how people, what are the appropriate ways and how people can best adapt their diet to have a plant-based approach for uh, the long term. But instead, they've just gone like, just talk crap, like saying, well, <laughs> vegan sources are more complete protein sources. So eat a bean burrito and you're going to be shagging like a rock star. It's just, <laughs> ah, yeah. it was just painful, some of it. But... Have they accomplished what they set out to with the ultimate aim of changing people um, to a plant-based way or a vegan way? Uh, they have at the population level, but I just think they could have done it in a much more credible and beneficial to people manner. Mm. I agree. I absolutely agree. It's one of them ones where they've they've created this hysteria by doing it the way they've done done it and that's why they did the way they did it because it does create this hysteria there's there's probably more people visiting the guy's website than ever than he could have ever imagined and he's going on he's on joe rogan podcast he's on every he's every he's everywhere if he'd done it in a way that we all would have hoped maybe we wouldn't have he wouldn't have been as famous as he is and yeah i suppose that's where we live isn't it fear mongering is a very Powerful marketing tool. Powerful. So you look at Brexit, you look at Trump getting yeah. in and things like that. It's, 100%. it's ultimately powerful, but it is, it's negative and you, you yeah. can stick to positive and you can focus on how to genuinely help people a lot more and then you get the outcome that everybody's after. So a wasted opportunity, unfortunately. Yes, but definitely give um, Tom's article on Training Ground Guru a read. And hopefully get his phone buzzing again on the on the on Twitter, and he can <laughs> wonder what's going on. Wonder if the world's ended. But anyway, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I know you've given your Twitter handles already, so that's a good call. Preempted that for me. But yeah, really appreciate it. And um, thanks for giving us the insights about what you're doing at, at Preston, and obviously the work, the amazing work you've done with Colourfit. So thanks a lot, mate. No, thank you, mate. I'm really appreciative coming on and keep up the good work, pal. Appreciate it. Have a good night. See you, mate. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 273 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. 
Big thanks to Tom for giving up his time during a busy Christmas schedule and, uh, and fitting me into his diary. Also, big thanks to the sponsors of today's episode, Kitman Labs, Black Box Fitness, I Measure You, and Hawking Dynamics. So I'm wishing you a very happy new year, and I hope those out there in sport world, in the applied sport world, um, got the result they wanted. Obviously, that can't apply to uh, that can't happen to everyone, but I hope um, I hope the results have been favourable this holiday season. So thanks a lot for tuning in, and I will speak to you next week.